So we're all real happy to see Karen this morning. And yeah, welcome back. And she's recovering from knee surgery. And even kind of thinking about the other one, huh? <laughs> so, and uh, some of our guests that are with us, that are friends of ours, glad that you're here. Thanks for coming this morning. So, um, just a prayer request that I wanted to share with you, just kind of a personal one from our family. Um, our daughter, our granddaughter Maddie, Madison, Maddie is 18 years old, getting ready to attend the Culinary Institute of America in uh, Napa Valley, uh, California. Monday night, she was returning home from work, and uh, it was about 9 o'clock. She was on a state highway, that's a two-lane highway, and uh, it was uh, dark, you know, obviously dark, and it's along vineyards, there's just cars, dark vineyards, and maybe some animals, and unexpectedly, while she was going along about 35, uh, unexpectedly, a, uh, a young 25-year-old woman uh, was all of a sudden in front of her car, and she swerved to miss her, hit the brakes, and she clipped this, she hit the woman, uh, the woman flew over her car, landed behind her, and the car behind her ran over the woman and, and killed the woman. And so, uh, you know, we talked to Maddie Tuesday night about 1 o'clock in the morning our time. She called and was crying and just trying to be able to go to sleep. And she's pressing through. She uh, hasn't got her car back, but she drove her car to work yesterday. So she's uh, encouraging her to get some counseling, and she's trying to hang in there and press through. So if you think about it, pray for Maddie. So, uh, all right. So I'm going to ask you a big favor because I'm, I'm, I'm feeling tilted. Can you, would you guys mind standing up and moving up a little? It's like either that or we need to move two rows of chairs or something. I'm just, it's, it's my problem. So if you'll indulge me, that will help. Um. <clears throat> Several years ago, maybe a story I shared with you before, but uh, I was in, I remember being in the Boy Scouts when I was about 10 or 11, whatever age that was in those Boy Scout years. And we went on a uh, fishing trip in the Sierra Nevadas. And it was like a backpack trip, you know, wilderness experience. Uh, I'm sure we only walked about four miles. I was, as, as far as I'm concerned, we walked 40 miles. I wasn't wasn't sure, but it was, uh, it was one of those trips. I remember we, I was sleeping in a pup tent that was made for two people, and there were three of us in the same tent, and I remember waking up in the middle of the night uh, needing to use the bathroom, and somehow or another, I got my sleeping bag turned around, and I could not, for the life of me, find the entrance to the pup tent, and so, you know, it was a long night just trying to figure out what to do and then I remember I got homesick, and you know it was one of those things. And so, uh, on the way home, it started raining, and I have never been known for having balance. We had a men's retreat a few years ago in our church in San Jose, and one of the things that we would do, one of the competitions, was a log roll. I did the log roll competition one time in my life, and that was the last time I ever was going to do it. You had to be on the log three times. It was the best of three. And some of those guys, you know, these guys that were surfers in Santa Cruz, California, they could stand on that thing forever. 
Not me. I got on it and got off as quick as I got on it. But I was, uh, we were walking back home. We were hiking home from this Boy Scout trip. It started raining, and we were crossing different streams. And I'm the kind of person, when you're crossing streams and stepping on rocks to get across the stream, uh, I'm watching everybody else navigate it and stepping on the stones and getting through. I always find the slippery rock. So I'm walking along carrying this 200-pound backpack. No, that's not true whatever it was, 20 pounds, and I went to step, and I slipped, and instead of slipping and just falling over, the backpack, the weight of the backpack pulled me back, and so there I was laying on my back like a turtle in this, thankfully it was a shallow stream, but I'm laying there waiting to be rescued and really miserable, and I was thinking of that story in light of what I want to talk about this morning because as we look at this next passage in James that we've been studying, it actually fits the context of the culture and the situations that we're all facing right now with things we see and we hear, with uh, even this last week, the situations with the, the shooting in Gilroy, the shooting in El Paso, the shooting in Dayton. Um, and people are living with a lot of fear. I heard this week that there was a backfire of a motorcycle in Times Square. And people scattered. There were people got hurt because there was a stampede to get out of Times Square. And people are nervous. They're looking at someone walking into Walmart that is in camouflage and all of a sudden wondering, what is this person doing? And so <clears throat> the reason I told the story about my experience as a Boy Scout is because of the stepping stones. And the issue is we're, we are stepping and trying to navigate territory that we have not navigated before. As Christians, as a nation, you know, probably uh, not since the time of, of the Roman Empire and the church navigating what they had to navigate, we're trying to navigate uh, uh, a situation that is, uh, there aren't books telling us what to do. We need supernatural, heavenly-like wisdom to know how to get to step on the right stones so we don't slip and fall and miss the target of where we're heading. And let me give you an example of what I mean. Um, a book I would refer to you that just came out called Love Over Fear, Facing Monsters, Befriended Enemies, and Healing Our Polarized World. Let me just read these phrases or words to you and pay attention to the reaction that you experience because we all have visceral type reactions to certain words depending on our perspective of life. Alt-right, alt-left, conservatives, progressives, feminist, white supremacist, immigrants, Muslims, Black Lives Matter, evolutionist, homeschoolers, evangelicals, pro-lifers, and you can add to the list. You know what I'm talking about? We've got a whole list of things that we are faced with in terms of certain buzzwords, and if you're talking to a neighbor, you could be talking to a neighbor, and if you use one of those words, immediately there's a label that's placed on you, or vice versa, in terms of what you hear. 
So I think we're in a time where it's so critical to have wisdom from God and also be able to hear. And so it's in the church that we really need to learn how to do it and be successful. And so with that in mind, I want us to look at a couple of passages to start with. James chapter 1, verse 5 is the first one. So you can look in your Bible or look up at the screen here. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. How many of you agree that we need to ask for wisdom in this day and age? Okay? So Lord, we ask you for wisdom. We need to know what to do. And so in James chapter 3, verse 13, there's a question that's asked by James. Who is wise and understanding among you? So everybody that's wise and understanding, would you please stand up? I appreciate your vulnerability and your humility. But that's a good question. I mean, that's a good question for us to consider. Are we wise enough and understanding enough to engage the culture, to engage relationships with one another in a way that we should? By, by his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. In the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. The word, the phrase bitter jealousy actually can be translated politicking. It's being political. It's bringing up political conversation just to stir up the atmosphere. And selfish ambition in your hearts, there's a word that the people in James Day would have been thinking about. We'll talk about it in a few minutes. It's the word wormwood. It was a bitter plant that existed. And so bitter jealousy is this bitterness that gets into relationships. So verse 15, this is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but it's earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. But the wisdom that from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere, and a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. (laughs) By those who make peace. How many of you are in here are supposed to make peace? Raise your hand. That's your job as a believer. The job of every believer, the identity and the calling of every believer is to make peace or to be a peacemaker. How do I know it has to do with identity? I want you to finish this beatitude. Blessed are the peacemakers for what? They are the children of God. That describes our identity. And so if you're a child of God, the implication is then a reflection of your identity is that you're a peacemaker. You're following the admonition of Paul, doing whatever it is, whatever is possible, finding some way to make peace with other people, even with people that you don't agree with. A spirit of peace represents heaven, and it can change a culture. A spirit of peace reflects wisdom, and it can direct individuals and or an, or, or an organization to find its true purpose. And so I want us to think about the contrast between earthly wisdom and heavenly wisdom 
to see if we've got the right spirit of peace in our midst. You all realize there's a strategy. There's a strategy by the enemy to sabotage peace. The strategy is to sabotage peace and, renew, and ruin any culture of peace that exists. And that's what James describes in verses 14 to 16. If you could put those back up there, Emily, that'd be great. But if you have bitter jealousy, politicking, and selfish ambition in your hearts, or wormwood in your hearts, don't boast and be false to the truth. James is describing a problem. The problem is, we will have bitter jealousy and or selfish ambition in our hearts. Pay attention to the words. But if you have bitter jealousy, the implication is, if will occur at one time or another. The issue, the question we have to wrestle with is how do we reduce the amount of time in our life that bitter jealousy and selfish ambition exists in our hearts? We will have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in our hearts, and the negative result or the implication is we will end up with disorder and every vile practice in our midst. And what James is really saying is, don't judge a book by its cover. Someone may look like on the outside that they're a really nice person, but if they're carrying wisdom from the earth, the description is what they represent is something that the word vile is a really strong word. Vile literally means despicable, disgusting, something that you want to run from and not touch at all. And certainly, I don't think, obviously, any of us want to represent that. And so, we all know, as Jesus said, that the enemy robs, the enemies come to rob and steal and destroy. So what's the enemy going to do if we find peace? You can help me answer that. What, what kind of things is he going to do to take, to take care of peace? Fear. Fear of another person, of their political views, of their Christian, of their religious background, of their ethnic background. What else? What are other ways that he takes away peace? Anger. Tragedies. All sorts of different ways. Now, those are large examples, but there's also some small examples. It may have happened to you already this morning. You may have walked by me, and as you were walking by, I said, Hello. Hello, Pastor Doyle. And I didn't hear you. And I just walked right by. What happened to your peace in that moment? It's like, you know, what a disgusting pastor he is. I mean, didn't he pay any attention and notice that I was talking to him? You ever had that happen? Where someone gives you a look, you look at someone across the room, and you can see the difference. I mean, if you look at someone across the room and you get a nod and a smile, but if you look at someone across the room and you get... All of a sudden, you get this visceral reaction and a change in your emotions. And... That has to do with the devil's strategy. To use even insignificant things and a look or a facial expression. Have you ever had anybody say to you, why would you just look at me like that? And it's like, 
How did I look at you? I don't know what I look like. Give me a mirror. I'm not sure what you're talking about. Um, maybe you've read this before. How many of you have heard of Screw Tape Letters by C.S. Lewis? Okay? And remember in Screw Tape Letters, that is an account of uh, Screw Tape writing to one of his demonic cohorts, Wormwood, interestingly enough. And listen to one of the accounts. Or one of the letters. Here's an excerpt from one of the letters. Screw tape is is the the head demon. Okay? And so he's the uncle of Wormwood. So he ends every letter with your affectionate uncle. Right? Okay? So dear Wormwood, when two humans have lived together for many years, it usually happens that each has tones of voice and expressions of face which are almost unendurably irritating to the other. Work on that! Bring fully into the consciousness of your patient that particular lift of his mother's eyebrows, which he learned to dislike in the nursery, and let him think how much he dislikes it. Let him assume that she knows how annoying it is and does it any time she can. If you know your job, he will not notice the immense improbability of the assumption. And of course, never let him suspect that he has tones and looks which similarly annoy her, as he cannot see or hear himself. This is easily managed. I just I read that and I think, I wonder how many times I've let the devil use me because of my reaction to the lift of an eyebrow or just the wrinkle of a nose or whatever it might be that caused me to get off track. Wormwood, and we won't look at this passage, but Wormwood is actually the name of a star. It's the name of a bitter herb, but it's the name of a star described in some of the plagues that are dispensed in Revelation. So listen to this, Revelation chapter 8. The third angel sounded his trumpet, and a great star, blazing like a torch, fell from the sky on a third of the rivers and on the springs of water, The name of the star is Wormwood. A third of the waters turned bitter, and many people died from the waters that had become bitter. This word Wormwood is mentioned only here in the the New Testament, but in the Old Testament it occurs eight times, and every time it occurs, it's the implication that that which is pure is now become bitter. And so the illustration is there's a strategy behind this deception, and it can make water to appear safe to drink. But when we drink it, what we're taking in is parasitic diseases that cause organisms to grow in our stomach and afflict us with sickness because we've taken something that's bitter. And so if we are, if we are participating and trying to dispense and relate to one another or relate to those that we're trying to share the Gospel with, if we're relating them to them with the spirit of earthly wisdom, or we're responding to their earthly wisdom in kind with the same kind of wisdom, what we are producing is a spirit of bitterness, a spirit of wormwood. And James' warning to us is that should not be the case. So I want us just to stop for a moment. Because I want you to think back over the last week. Last week, 
you know, we looked at the first part of James 3 and talked about, talk, we, we talked about the words, how we need to be careful with the words that we share. I won't say who it was, but I heard someone share that last Sunday, as always, always happens, as soon as they got into a car, into the car on the way home, they got into an argument. And as they got into an argument, they remembered the words of James about being careful with what we share. Think back over this last week. And how many times have you heard bitterness of speech? And how many times have you responded in kind in those situations? I have. I've had situations this week and probably all of us would do a good job taking a look over the last 24 hours and do ourselves a favor and checking to see where this bitter spirit exists. None of us should want a spirit of wormwood, obviously. So instead, James gives us a contrast. And the antidote to earthly wisdom is heavenly wisdom. So finish this statement for me. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of what? The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So take a look at Proverbs chapter 1, because remember when James is writing, he's writing as the brother of Jesus. And we know that in the book of Proverbs, as we've talked about before, that any time wisdom is represented, wisdom or knowledge, it's a picture. It's a picture of Jesus. So we've got Proverbs chapter 1, the Proverbs of Solomon, the son of David, the king of Israel, to know for gaining wisdom and instruction to understand words of insight, to receive instruction in wise dealing, in righteousness, justice, and equity, to give prudence to those who are simple, knowledge, and uh, discretion to the youth. Let the wise hear and increase in learning, and the one who understands obtain guidance to understand a proverb and a saying, the words of the wise and their riddles. So I'd like to take real quickly these verses a little bit at a time and highlight specific words and synonyms to those words that describe wisdom the proverbs verses one or verse one the proverbs of solomon son of david king of israel for getting gaining wisdom the word that's used for wisdom there is being moral and beyond repute it's making the right choice even when there are no clear moral laws telling you explicitly what to do I don't know about you, but I think we've all been in situations where we don't have exact words in the Bible as to what to do. Um, some things require knowledge, like dispensing medicine or compliance to rules or not committing adultery. Things are very clear. But how many of you found a Scripture in the Bible that told you who to marry? And hopefully, you know, when... You picked who to marry, you had wisdom. And, but you didn't get it from the, specifically from the Bible. Um, no Bible verse tells you what job to take. You know, Ariel just recently got a great job. I've been looking in the Bible all week long, Ariel, to describe the place that you're working. I can't find it. So how did you know? How did you know? You knew because there was wisdom that you used. And hopefully what's happening is we go into these situations as believers, we're taking advantage of the wisdom that comes from God to help us with what to do. It's wisdom that 
we don't know whether we should take a job. We don't know whether we should start school. We don't know which doctor to go to, all those kinds of things. The next thing is to recognize that the model of Jesus is to receive and to display heaven's wisdom. It's interesting, the description of Jesus is in Mark chapter 6, verse 2. What's this wisdom that has been given to him? It's my opinion that I, I think believers should be the wisest people on the planet. It's also my opinion that that's not always true. Sometimes we've been the most foolish by the words we've shared, by the attitudes we've carried, and so on. In verse 2, he says, the Proverbs say, for gaining wisdom and instruction, for understanding and words of insight. Instructions, that's wisdom we get from a drill, a drill instructor. Instructor, getting us, getting into our face and confronting us. Sometimes we need someone just to get in our face and say, that's the wrong thing to do. And we need to be vulnerable and submit to that kind of wisdom. Insight is the ability to, to, to distinguish the different nuances of the shade of color. Let me give you a couple of quick examples. In the uh, World Trade Memorial Museum, that they just opened up a couple years ago. There's a wall, and behind that wall <clears throat> are the remains of people they couldn't get out. It's basically a, a total memorial to those people. This huge wall. And so what they did was they asked several artists to come, and there's, I don't know how many squares there are in this wall, probably over 200. But they asked the artists, remember the day that 9-11 happened, it was a bright blue sky, a warm fall day. There, was no, there were no clouds in the sky. So on this wall, every square is blue. But you know that not one square looks like the same color of blue? Because every artist had a different sense of what the, the shade of blue the sky was that day. I was uh, reading something this, uh, last night or this morning um, for those of you that care, Jeff and I care. Well, maybe he doesn't care because it's the Mets. And the Phillies are, sorry Jeff, Phillies are history. But the Mets are on a roll right now. And the, uh, the batter last night that hit a, a sacrifice fly, I don't have time to explain to you what that means, but he hit a sacrifice fly to win the game. In between at-bats, he was getting ready to face a pitcher he had never seen before. And so he was in the dugout. It's hard to believe they have all this stuff. But he was in the clubhouse watching a video of this pitcher to determine the locations he liked to pitch. And he wanted to watch the spin on his slider, which is a form of a curveball. He wanted to watch the spin and the rotation so that when he saw one coming, he would know not to try to pull it would make, which would make him hit a ball into the ground, he needed to hit a ball to the outfield. And so he saw the spin of a slider coming to the outside corner, and instead of turning his hands over, he kept his hands open and hit the fly ball, which scored the win winning run to win the game. That's what insight is. Sometimes we go into a situation and we just we don't have a clear idea of what to do, but we need to know the nuances that will help us to make a wise decision. Proverbs verses, uh, chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. Two more words. Prudent behavior and discretion. That means we need to plan and live strategically. 
I don't know how many of you live by a budget so that you can know what you have, you can know what you need to tithe, and all those kinds of things, but we all need to have a budget. We need to make sure that we uh, are prepared so we don't end up with paralysis when it comes to a situation where we need to know what to do. And then verse 6 says to add to their learning and let the discerning get guidance. That's one of my favorite ones. Because to add to your learning doesn't come from reading Newsday. It comes from extensive study. It comes from reading as much as you can. It comes from studying the Word and unpacking things and trying to understand. So in other words, this wisdom from heaven, you know, we could sit around and try to act super spiritual and just go make a sound of some kind and go, oh, just give me wisdom, give me wisdom, give me... And we sing, give me wisdom. But the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. First, it's a posture. And then secondly, it's looking for different opportunities to see what it looks like. So let me move us to a conclusion. Worship team, don't come up yet. Did I ever tell you a joke that... Never mind. (laughs) The definition of an optimist is when the pastor says in conclusion. Um, There's another one too that... Never mind. Verses 17 and 18. Let me finish up. Wisdom that come from above is first pure. If we could put those back up there. Then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. The word pure means pure enough to approach the gods. It means holy. It's, it, one commentator says the true wisdom is the wisdom which is so cleansed of ulterior motives, so cleansed of self that it becomes pure enough to see God. In other words, are the decisions that you're making, are you vetting them out with God? I think whether it's talking to a brother or sister, whether it's talking to your wife or husband, whether it's talking to your kids about something, I think it's a good idea to say, God, would you take, take a moment and vet what I have to say to make sure my heart is pure. Peaceable. The word peaceable is a word that means it produces right relationships. It brings men closer to God and closer to other men and women. So in other words, if the words that I'm sharing are driving people apart, that's probably an indication it's not, it's not wisdom from heaven. But if the words I'm sharing are bringing people together, it's an indication that I'm living out of my identity as a peacemaker. The word gentle and considerate is that which is written as a beyond the written law. Someone says that the man who is gentle and considerate is the man who knows when it is actually wrong to apply the strict letter of the law. He's the man who knows how to forgive when strict justice gives him a perfect right to condemn. I thought of an example of that. It's the story of Zacchaeus. You know, he's the the tax collector. And when Jesus confronts him as the tax collector, he has every right to ask the authorities to bring the full, uh, the, the, the full punishment that he deserves for the life that he's led. Or the woman, at the, the woman caught in adultery. She deserves to be stoned according to the law. But Jesus says, no, we're going to put that aside because there's a higher law. And somehow or another, what 
God's wisdom, heavenly wisdom does, is it helps us know when we should apply the higher law. You know, it's like with our kids sometimes. There's times that they deserve to receive the discipline they're supposed to receive. But something goes off in your heart as a father or a mother and you go, this time I'm going to handle this different. And somebody else might say to you, you're crazy, but you know that it's the right thing because of the situation. Open to reason and willing to yield. Not stubborn. Full of mercy and good fruits. Pity for the man that is suffering unjustly, somebody said. Mercy is for the man who's in trouble, even when the trouble is his own fault. So this wisdom dispenses mercy. And remember James's words in James chapter 2, verse 13, that mercy triumphs over judgment. And finally, it's impartial or undivided and sincere. It's without hypocrisy. In other words, God is saying, James is saying, don't fake wisdom. Don't be a hypocrite about it. So the question is, how do you make sure you're not just posing and pretending to have wisdom? Well, we're all required to do a heart check. And verse 18 says, a harvest of righteousness is sown by those who make peace. So in this culture of turmoil, we practice extending peace to one another. I think it's a good idea if we share something with one another, I think it's a good idea if I, if I have something that I need to say and I say it to Karen, and I say, Karen, can you just help me? Would you let me know if what I just shared with you had a spirit of peace behind it? Did it make you feel more peaceful? Or did, I, did what I share make you feel more anxious? Now, maybe she feels more anxious because there's things that she needs to work with but I need to find a way to help her get to that place. I'm not just picking on Karen on purpose, but I'm just using an example so that what we're doing is we're making sure we're accountable to each other and checking to see what's happening with our expressions and our words and how they're being received. Because God knows. God knows that there are people all around us that... They're, they're loaded for bear. They're, they're ready to argue at the drop of a hat. And if we don't have the wisdom of God and the wisdom of heaven to help bring peace in situations, we're not going to be successful in bringing the Gospel to people's lives. As I said, what it boils down to is a heart issue. Verse 14 says, but if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts... And remember earlier in James says, one of the deceptions we need to be careful about is the deception of our hearts. So we need to ask ourselves a question as we get ready to finish. And we're really getting ready to finish now. We need to ask ourselves a question. How pure is our heart? The new song that we sang this morning about the river. How, how much are we allowing the river of God's Spirit to flow through our heart before our mouths engage. And so often our mouths engage before we are checking with the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit's been triggered on in our heart to help us speak wisely. And I want to have Emily put this verse up because it reminds us of what Jesus said. On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to Me and drink. 
Whoever believes in Me, as the Scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this He said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in Him were to receive. For as yet the Spirit had not been given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. The water He gives is pure. And even if there's bitter stuff in my heart, if I let the Holy Spirit come into my heart and work from the inside out, then a river flows. And I can change the culture and I can change the atmosphere because I'm fulfilling my calling and my identity as a peacemaker. I would like all the peacemakers in this room to stand up. All the peacemakers in this room to stand up. Should be all of us. Because as believers, that's our identity. And as the worship team gets ready to come, I, I want to ask you to put your hands out in front of you. And whether it's the first time or whether it's once again, as Paul said, we need to be continuously filled with the Holy Spirit. As I pray, I want you to open your hearts and be vulnerable to the Lord. And Lord, we want you to show us, Holy Spirit right now, would you show us areas in our heart where we've been bitter First of all, where we've been bitter towards a member of our own family. Where we let wormwood creep into our hearts. And we know that it's been reflected by the words that we've shared. And we realize it's not the wisdom of God. So we just wait for a moment, Lord. Would you, would you show that to us right now? And by the Holy Spirit, wash it away. And now, Lord, we choose to drink in pure water. We choose to drink in the river of the Holy Spirit. Baptize us. Fill us again. So that instead of bitter words, holy, pure, life-changing words, words that bring people together, words that open their hearts to the Gospel, are the words that come out. Thank You, Holy Spirit for doing what Jesus promised you would do, which is flowing through us like rivers of living water. Just wait on you for a moment, Lord. I ask you to wash in us and through us. Would you please put your hands out in front of you again as we get ready to go, and I want to have you leave with these words from Psalm 19 on your heart. And then I'll have a, a word of blessing that I feel like the Lord wants you to go with this morning. Psalm 19, verses 12 to 14 says, Who can discern his errors? Declare me innocent from hidden faults. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. And I'd like you to say these words with me. I'll just say a few words at a time and you can repeat them after me. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, 
my rock and my redeemer. Lord, I pray that you would bless your people today with words of peace and let them be peacemakers for the kingdom of God. In Jesus' name, go in peace. Amen.